and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan while traveling came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I love the mood lighting, don't you? It's just great. Get some lava lamps, you know, we'll be all, we'll be all good. <clears throat> Let's pray. Thanks, O oh God, for your, your great love for us and your great word for us, for this familiar story that we hope never grows too familiar. We pray that it will speak to us even today in a new way and that we may wonder what it's calling each one of us to do for the sake of your son, Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Mark Twain wrote once that fewer things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. And so in being honest with you, I must admit it's these words that come to mind when I think of the story that, I just, that was just read to you this morning. Fewer things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. That may sound a little sacrilegious to speak in such a way about one of the world's great stories, the story of the Good Samaritan. You've heard this story enough, the story, and you've heard a priest about enough to have Jesus' wonderful character of the Good Samaritan kind of deeply ensconced in your mind with every stalled vehicle on the side of the road, with every homeless person holding out their cup, with every hungry plea from a child on television, you and I have always had this good example to serve as an annoyance, a nag to our conscience. What would the Good Samaritan do, we ask, and we already know the answer almost before we ask it. The Good Samaritan, of course, would stop for the stalled vehicle, would buy dinner for the homeless man, would send in $30 a month for the hungry child. And yet it's often the case that we don't do those things, right? Let's be real. If I had a dime for every stalled car I passed, then I would have enough to buy a brand new one for myself. The same goes, right, for the homeless man. The same goes for the hungry child. But there is this good Samaritan, right, that is in our minds, in our hearts, in our spirits, who is gently there to tap us on the shoulder to say, you know, if you really were a Christian, you would stop thinking of all the good and practical reasons not to stop and you would just stop and do the right thing. We all have heard that voice in the back of our minds. There's just enough in this story of Jesus to make us feel guilty just about all the time. 
Not that guilt is such a bad thing. Sometimes guilt can really kind of give us a little bit of a prod, a little bit of an encouragement, kind of wakes us up, knocks on the door of our conscience, and reminds us of all those things are which, are, which are of eternal value. But guilt seldom gets us off the dime, right? Guilt seldom gets us to change our way of thinking. Guilt might get us to stop one time, but it does not get us to stop all the time. And I suspect if Jesus were here, he would cringe to think that this great story was something that now was just making us feel bad all the time. I doubt it was in Jesus' mind to kind of zing us with this story. I'll tell them the story of the Good Samaritan. That'll make them feel bad all the time. That, of course, is not the point. But maybe the point might have something more to do with Jesus' inquisitor. Just then, Luke tells us, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's the great human question, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? How can I be sure that, what I, that I will have life forever beyond the grave? Now, when Jesus gets that question, what he does is he turns it back, to, turns it back around to the lawyer and asks the lawyer what his best guess might be. And the answer he comes up with are the two great commandments, right? To love God and to love neighbor. We are familiar with these. They comprise our mission statement, love God, love neighbor. Jesus tells him that he's got the answer right. Now, go ahead and practice what you preach. But then Luke has this very curious line after Jesus tells the lawyer to go ahead and do as he was saying. Luke has this curious line when he writes, but wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Wanting to justify himself. Now, I don't know about you, but those four words give me pause. Because if there's anything that I want to do, it is to justify myself. How about you? It may be the best way to describe the human endeavor, our yearning to justify ourselves. It may be one of the primary ways to explain why we do all the things that we do, the striving to justify ourselves. We have been about this business of justifying ourselves ever since we were little kids in the nursery at two years of age, wrestling with another two-year-old over some common toy, yanking and crying. We want to justify ourselves with what we have. When I was in kindergarten, and little Tommy and I were building a little block building together, and there was one more piece to go, and Tommy got his piece into the building before I did. I, I did the mature thing. I, I clumped Tommy over the head with my block and sent him crying. I, I justified myself. Every day when we go off to school, we are off to justify ourselves, and at semester's end, we learn how well we have done in justifying ourselves. When you put together a resume, putting down the things that maybe speak a little bit too positive about who you are, you are, what, justifying yourself? Or when you accept a job and you have a business card made and you have a title, when someone asks you what you do, it's good to have a title, right? It's good to be able to justify yourself, give good reason for why you're taking up space. A friend of mine commented the other day about how parents of college students, and I was sure guilty of this, put on the back of their windows of their cars the name or the names of the colleges their children are attending and how that's really kind of our way, right, of publicly speaking 
you know, of ourselves. We don't put on the car our resume or our job title, but we do put on the college of our kids. It's a way, I suppose, kind of around the bend to justify ourselves. The lawyer wants to justify himself, but unfortunately, the way he wants to do it is he wants to find a way to back Jesus into a corner. He's going to justify himself by putting Jesus in his place. He's going to justify himself by doing a little Perry Mason with Jesus. He's going to show Jesus how smart he is, how well he can handle himself in a debate. You ever see that happen in a classroom? You know, someone asks a question, not really to kind of really ask a question, but to kind of show everybody how much they already know. Uh, yes, teacher, understanding, of course, uh, Bart's theory of the atonement suggesting a wider universality and an ontological, ontological dichotomy. I was wondering if you could comment on that. Really? Just another attempt to justify yourself. It's the great human longing, isn't it? Remember that great scene at the end of the great movie Saving Private Ryan when the old American veteran makes his way onto the cemetery at Normandy? He had fought some 50 years before right on those very same fields. And now he's surrounded in the sea of his dead comrades. And he stares upon the one grave of the one comrade who saved his life. Overwhelmed at the cost that had been paid for him, he turns to his wife and he says, tell me I've been a good man. He just wants some justification. So seeing the quest for justification written all over the face of the lawyer, Jesus tells him this great story about being a good neighbor. And while there are 20 sermons that I could preach about this Good Samaritan story, maybe the one thing for us to think about today is that the hero of the story, the Samaritan, is the one whose justification came in the justification he gave to someone else. His justification came in the justification he gave to someone else. Who proved neighbor, Jesus asked at the end of the story, to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? And the lawyer replies, the one who showed him mercy. Of course, another way of saying it is that the one who proved neighbor to the beaten man is the one who, who gave him justification, the one who gave him the time of day and the time of night, and in doing so was telling him that even though he was a stranger, there was still justification for his life. The man wasn't roadkill. The man wasn't an unacceptable risk. The man wasn't, you know, one of them foreigners. He's a human being, child of God. Nothing more is needed than that aside from a little mercy to be justified. Have you ever thought of yourself as one who can give others justification for their life our greatest justification remember comes when we give justification to others it's the way of christ right the life and death of christ gives justification to us and then in turn jesus says to us well then you take up your cross and follow me because if you want to find your life you will lose it in somebody else's life so when we think about the living of our days and taking up our earthly space, our day-to-day -day justification is found when we are in the business of bringing justification to our neighbors, which is to say that the great purpose in life is to show others how valuable their lives are. The value of their lives is directly related to the value we impute to the lives 
of others. It's a fundamental human equation. You've heard me speak before of the Molokai leper colony in Hawaii back in the 19th century when no one knew what to do with lepers, and everyone believed, as it turned out falsely, that they were contagious to everybody. What they figured out to do was they would take the lepers of Hawaii and they would dump them onto a peninsula called Molokai and let them fend for themselves. Tough luck to you. Off to the side of the road you go. And it was a Father Damien who took his place in Jesus' story and lowered himself into the Molokai leper colony, a death sentence in the minds of most. And there he ministered to the lepers for the rest of his days until he contracted leprosy himself. Wanting to justify himself, he entered into the pain of others. Writing to his brother as his days drew to an end, surrounded by a community of some 600 lepers who loved him as much as he loved them, he reported to his brother, I believe I am the happiest missionary in the world. It's the great human question. We justify ourselves by justifying another. It doesn't take much to think who the lepers of today might be. Just pick out any Syrian refugee family in the camp in Lebanon or a migrant worker in Immokalee or a homeless man and his children. Or think of the over 250 kids who will visit us at our Day of Hope or a kid who is struggling with his math in need of a tutor. Our justification is inextricably linked to theirs because that's what the whole mission of Jesus was about, right? Bringing justification to other people's lives. The sick, the poor, the lame, the blind man, the ill daughter, the bleeding woman, the unclean lepers, the unrighteous sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, all those that society has sort of squeezed out of the value category. Jesus ended up spending most of his time with, bringing justification to their lives by giving them the time of day across all the divides, Samaritan to Jew, Sadducee to Pharisee, religious to non-religious, conservative to liberal, Democrat to Republican, black to white, straight to gay, Christian to Muslim, because it, isn't that the great human equation for living? Isn't that what life is about? Our greatest justification for living is found in the justification we give to others. It's what I thought the other day when I visited my brother up in northwestern Pennsylvania, my brother Jim. Some of you have heard me talk about my brother Jim, 62 years old. He's the guy third on the left. That's all my brothers, me and my three brothers. My oldest brother right next to me. I'm the thin one. I used to be thin. Uh, <clears throat> and then my brother Jim and then my second oldest brother Cam. Three of us Presbyterian ministers and my brother Jim. Uh, people think Jim was the smartest one by not being a Presbyterian minister. But anyway, Jim is 62 years old, severely mentally handicapped, never spoken a word in his life, blind, totally dependent upon the care of others. A resident since he was 10 in a state institution in Pennsylvania. The three of us go to visit our brother as much as we can. 
which is what I was doing a couple of weeks ago. I went unannounced and walked into the day room where my brother spends most of his daytime hours. And without them seeing me, I stood back and I watched the state workers, folks barely making a poverty level income. I watched this team of workers interact with my brother who has very little understanding of what you're saying and absolutely no ability to respond. And I watched them as they talked with him and interacted with him and cared for him. I watched them as they treated my brother as if he were the king of England. The king of England. Need they worry about eternal life? I don't think so. Need they to justify themselves? I think they already have. Kings and queens they are, as much as they have made one James Joseph McConnell the King of England. Let us pray. We thank you, O Lord, that as we come to your table, that you are the one who, through your life and death and resurrection, have justified us. You have emptied yourself, taken on the form of a servant, became obedient even unto death, even death on a cross, in order that we might be justified. We thank you that as we come to this table, that you are one who will meet us here, and that you will fill us with your spirit, and that you will let us know that we are one of yours, and we always will be justified in the blood of the Lamb, justified to bring justification to others. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear the words of the institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ as they delivered by the Apostle Paul. I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you that the same night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat of this, remember me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. When you drink of this, remember me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember the Lord's death until he comes again. And he will come again. Let us pray. Receive us, Lord, at this table that we may know that we're yours. We've always been and always will be. We thank you that we are your children and that we know how much we're loved and we pray that as we receive this heavenly banquet we would know of your grace and mercy for us and that we may claim again your call to be vessels of your grace for others that through what we do and what we say others will see that they are justified to be alive that they are justified in your love 
They are justified with a great calling to be your child. So bless us, Lord, as we come to this table. Receive us as your children. For we pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Come to the table. Servers would come forward, and if you would make your way down the center aisle, there will be gluten-free right in the middle. There will be bread on each side and the cup on each side. And if, so if you, even in the wings, if you would come down the center and then make your way back. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to me. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee take my voice and let me sing always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from Thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as you choose. My love, my Lord, I pour. 
at your feet its treasure store take myself and i will be ever only of pray. Thank you for your presence here among us, O God. We are humbled and filled with joy at your faithfulness, compassion, and love. Through this bread of life at your table, we are healed and made whole. May this food and drink strengthen us in love and empower us to serve others in your name. Amen. So friends, you have left your burden at the cross this week. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ that is found in Jesus and in God and in the Holy Spirit.
So may God's extravagant love this week consume you. May the life and passion of Christ inspire you. And may the Spirit compel you to do ordinary things with extraordinary love. And the blessings of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you. Amen.
Yeah, we go round and round again But people, we won't be to blame 
another moment. I want to live intentionally in light of eternity. I want to love like you loved. I want to love with my life. (laughs) 